0: Rejoicing over the last weekend, uh, it was such a blessing. I told Brother Daniel it was so much better hearing it in person than on OBW. Uh, I learned a lot. and I, I'm very thankful for that, and learned a lot from you. Learned a lot. Lord blessed, and I'm I'm still rejoicing in that. My thoughts have been in the Book of Philippians. There's several texts in here that I'd like to look at, and Lord willing, I'll try not to take up too much time. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 9, it says, And this I pray, that your love may abound, yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, that ye may approve things that are excellent, that ye may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God. These three verses here, well, the book of Philippians is, the best way I've heard it, it's a love letter. It is a wonderful letter to this church. It's an encouraging letter. This is something that I've had on my mind for quite a while. One of the reasons is, is we have been so blessed. As a church, we have been so blessed. I look around and see how many people are here, and that is a huge blessing to us. But even more importantly, the Lord is here. That even where two or three are gathered together, in his name, will he be there? But when the Lord's there, it's a full house. That is amazing. And this I pray that your love may abound yet more and more. The one thing about that verse that took me a little bit of time to understand was that these, this was not a letter of correction. These people already loved the Lord. They were following after the Lord in the way that they should. Uh, they were pressing inward uh, into, the king, into the kingdom. But he's saying, let your love abound even more and more. How do you do that? By increasing your knowledge and in all judgment. We need to continue to press inward is what he's saying. We need to continue to strengthen our judgment. What does that mean? That was, that was a little bit of an issue trying to understand that. We need to make sure that we're doing things in the right way and looking at things in the right way, not um, hastily doing things taking our time, and that ye may approve things that are excellent. Those things are having spiritual discernment. Brother Sonny has preached many times on that and and talked about it many times, and that is a huge thing. And he even talks about it later on when he goes in and starts talking about the different brethren and how they preach the gospel, whether it be uh, uh, of strife and contention or, or whether it be of love. But the point is, is that Christ is preached and we need to understand and have spiritual discernment in that. That ye may be sincere. That word sincere, that was a, it was eye opener when I studied that word. That means tested as genuine. That is such an amazing thing. We need, we are, we have been tested in this church. the, The primitive Baptist church and as a whole has been tested throughout time and yet we have remained genuine. We've remained true to the old paths and without offense, without sin, and being filled with the fruits of righteousness, uh, which are by uh, Jesus Christ under the glory and praise of God. Now, what he's saying in that and what he prays for is that they, you've already been filled with the fruits of righteousness. You've already felt that it, within your spirit And yet, sometimes I falter. Sometimes myself gets in the way of being as one. Verse 27, only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that ye stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together, For the faith of the gospel, and in nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation and that of God. For unto you it is given uh, in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake. What's been on my mind has been us being in one accord. It is a difficult thing from time to time when you have differing minds, uh, different opinions about how things should do, how things should operate, what we should <coughs> do in certain circumstances. You, this is sometimes often seen in the workplace. You, you get together as a team and you start discussing something and all of a sudden you realize everybody's on a different page, and, but you've got to bring them together, right? As a supervisor or a manager, the, the goal is, is to bring everybody together and get together on a single point and say, this is the direction we're going. Sometimes it's that way in the church. Sometimes we experience that within the church. Uh, But the point is, is that we should look at one another. And Paul goes into that in the second chapter. If there be, therefore, any consolation in Christ, if there be, if any comfort of love, If any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and one mind. What he's saying is if you have any of that within you, we ought to look at that uh, on one another. You may have uh, uh, consolation in Christ. You may have comfort. Each of us may have those different things, but it says in here to look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. If you're sorrowing, we sorrow with you. If you're happy, then we uh, rejoice with you. When Brother Zach and Sister Emily, they finished their house, we rejoiced in that because we're happy for them. When, when uh, Brother David and Sister Catherine announced their engagement, that was wonderful, and we rejoiced in that. We sorrow with the church at Duncanville or Duncan. I mean, those are things that we are to do. We are to look at each other and strengthen ourselves as one body in one accord, in one mind. Now, we are to let nothing be done with strife and vainglory. It's not about me, it's about us. It's about not really us, even, it's about the Lord. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves than, than themselves. Let this mind be in you." It's not a "and let this mind, it's "let this mind." What does that mean? It means we are to take on the form of a servant. Christ was our example. He came. He, he thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. A servant has no reputation. They are a servant. We are to esteem one another. What does that mean? We are to lift each other up. We put each other higher than ourselves. And being found in the fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. He thought it not robbery to be equal with God. God, he he said, I and my father are one, as brother uh, da- Daniel said last weekend. He said that. But he humbled himself, even though he was God in the flesh. He humbled himself and became obedient unto death. He sacrificed himself so that we might live. He was a servant. Wherefore, God hath also hath highly exalted him. Uh, I was reading in Matthew, in Matthew chapter 1, and it says, Herein is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. God showed John and everyone there that that was his son and that he was well pleased in the work that he was already performing. He continued to exalt him, and Christ still remained obedient unto death. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven and the things in earth and things under the earth. At his mere name, not just Christ's coming, but Christ's name, every knee should bow and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What does that mean? That means that not only the elect will know him, will say that he is Jesus Christ, our Lord but even the non-elect. They can't deny it. Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and tre- and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do his will good pleasure. We are to work it out. We are to know that we are saved by Jesus Christ and his shed blood. We are to own that. We are to be as one, as a church. We are to not have murmurings or disputings. We're not to do anything for uh, uh, in vainglory or to strife. We have to remain as one mind in one accord. I've said this before. Um, There's an old saying that uh, I think it's uh, hard times uh, make for hard men, hard men make for soft times, soft uh, soft times make for uh, hard times. Soft men and soft men make for hard times. I think that's the cycle. And I think that there's a possibility that we could be heading into difficult times. Uh, We've seen persecutions of the church as of late. Seeing what happened in Duncan, that was, was hard to see. And I recall many years ago of seeing other churches having that a lot. But there's also persecutions in other ways, too. And as a church, we can overcome that. We as the body. This is just a building. And yes, we don't want anything tore up or destroyed. But as a body, when we are persecuted by the world, we can overcome that. Because the Lord is faithful. We need to remain blameless and harmless. The sons of God. Without rebuke. In the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. Among whom ye shine as lights in the world. When we remain true. When we hold fast. Stand fast. The Lord blesses. He shines his light, our lights shine, and and he shines his light on us. Holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. Yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all for the same cause also do ye joy and rejoice with me. What does that mean? That means that when we hold true to the faith that was once delivered to the saints, when we hold true to the doctrines, others rejoice in it, we rejoice in it. We can say, at the end of the day, I have walked with the Lord. I have held true to the old paths. I have not strayed. That is something that we can rejoice in. And I think that I'm saying that to you as, yes, we as Bethel can rejoice in that. We have such a great blessing here. I I have been a member of many churches, and I'm not putting down those other churches at all. But the one thing that I've recognized here is that I've been so blessed to be with each and every one of you. The Spirit is definitely here. God is definitely blessing this church and it's it's important that we continue to recognize that and to hold true to the paths and the teachings that are here within this book. I rejoice when I hear that other churches are blessed as well. That's important too. We must be thankful for that. In chapter 4, Close with this. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Keep them in your minds. Even as you depart from this place, remember. The world will beat you down, but this is the house of God. We have such a great blessing here, and don't think that you're alone. When you leave this place and you go out and you're by yourself with your family, don't think that you're alone. You can call up a brother or a sister. You can think on the things that are so wonderful, that are true and honest, that are lovely. And remember those and rejoice in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Come ahead, brother.
1: Well, I came this morning to worship the Lord with you here at Bethel. And I was hoping somebody else would would, would preach and I get to listen. But uh, Brother Sonny can be pretty... uh, well, he can be pretty stubborn about things like this, so I'm going to do what my brothers asked me to do. May the lord bless certainly do appreciate Brother Seth's preaching to us today. Uh, it was uh, very edifying to me, and I fed off off of it and may the Lord bless him as he has spoken to us out of the book of Philippians and talked about you know the church and um, the fact that he had been that he is being blessed as a member here at Bethel Church, and I can attest to that as being among you. Uh, I'm I'm blessed as well, and one of the things that I have been made to see very plainly in my study of the letters to the seven churches of Asia is how does the Lord measure the spirituality of the church? and what are the things that the Lord desires to see uh, from the church and in the church, because how we measure, um, for lack of a better term, success uh, is not usually the way the Lord measures. You know, we look at location of the church building, size of the congregation, who the pastor is, how many young people <coughs> or young families or a mix of, of age groups, and none of those are considered in these letters to the seven church right. churches, none of them. And uh, the pastor's not even named. Right. Uh, nothing is said about where the church is located and how many people attend the church, and some churches were doing well, and it appears from the the, the writings that yet they were a small church, yet the Lord appreciated their zeal, And then there are some churches that seem to be doing very well, and yet the Lord says, no, you're not. You're not doing well. It starts off with the first church of Ephesus, which was very busy in attending to uh, worship of the Lord and the functions of the church, and yet Ephesus got the most distressing letter of all when he said, well, you've lost your first love, and I'm going to, if you let you change, I'm going to remove the, the candlestick out of his place. That was the worst, that church was in the worst shape of all the seven churches. Then you hear of Sardis. Sardis says, well, you have a name that you're alive, but you're dead. Strengthen the things that remain. There are other things that he mentions. Last Sunday, as I looked at Philadelphia and um, talked about the door of opportunity, (coughs) the door of blessing that the Lord has extended to them, we go now to the church that everyone is familiar with, that is the church of Laodicea, and we all know about Laodicea, it's gotten the press, it's the lukewarm church, it's the church that the Lord says, I'm going to spew you out of my mouth, Mm -hmm. it's uh, become a byword, Laodicea, it almost equals lukewarmness, Uh, I know of only one Primitive Baptist Church that was named Laodicea, officially. And uh, they kept that name for a while. That church is still among us. It's now known as Brentwood Hills Primitive Baptist Church. That's the only one I know of. And I've had people say, can you believe that they constituted that church with the name of Laodicea? Well, I used to pastor Sardis Church. (laughs) Sardis Church in the Book of Revelation said, well, you're dead. So, uh, it, 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 what, what, what can you say? Bethel is a pretty good name that means the house of God, the house of the Lord. Laodicea, this is found in the third chapter of the book of Revelation, and it begins in verse 14. And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, these things saith the Amen the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God, the amen. I've been told that the word amen means let it be so. We close our prayers with that. It's a request. Lord, grant unto us the things that we've asked for. But it also means enduring or always. Constant, And I think that's what the meaning is when the Lord identifies himself as the amen, the enduring one, the constant one, the one that does not change. I've heard some good servants preached on the immutability of Christ. That means Christ doesn't change. And it's built upon a very important doctrinal precept. Because the Lord says, I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, because I don't change, ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. That means when the Lord commences love to someone, that love endures. Right. The Lord doesn't take it back. Right. Right. Once saved, always saved. The amen, the one who doesn't change. Right. Uh, we're preserved of the blood of Christ because the blood of Christ did save, does save, continues We continue in that blessed state of of salvation. The Lord doesn't change. The amen. What the Lord says doesn't change. It doesn't change. I'm the amen. I'm the faithful and true witness. You can trust what I say. What I say is true. What I say is faithful. What I say is worth listening to, worth adhering to. And this is an interesting expression, the beginning of the creation of God. Somebody needs to preach a good sermon on that expression. You're not going to hear one today on that <laughs> It's not in me right now. <clears throat> but man, you could do a lot with that, and I think it would be pretty good if the Lord would bless. What does that mean? Does that, that could mean a lot of things. That means, you know, he is, he is the creator. He began creation. He began creation in the beginning. In the beginning of creation, God created the heavens and the earth. The Bible says of Christ, the worlds were made by Christ. He's the beginning. He's the firstborn among many brethren. He's the first of the external, physical creation. He's the first of the spiritual or new creation. And he has the preeminence overall. He is the first and the greatest and the Alpha, and the Omega. Then he gets right into it. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Don't want to be like that. Don't want that to happen. Lukewarm, L-U-K-E, that's, actually it's a Latin word. It means tepid. What does that mean? It's neither cold or hot. Tepid is uncomfortable. Or maybe it's too comfortable. You know, we all have a kind of a window. We have an internal thermostat that we want the outer thermostat to to correspond with. So some folks like it 75 degrees, some like it 72. Some polar bears like it at 62 degrees. I'd rather it be 82 degrees in the house than 62, but that's just the way I am. We want to be comfortable, but the thing is, we don't need to be comfortable in our religious devotion and service. We don't need to settle for just enough. There's no happy medium in this. You either need to be one or the other. That's what the Lord said. I'd rather you be cold than lukewarm. I think he'd rather us be hot than cold, but I know he'd rather us be hot than lukewarm. But it's interesting, he said, I'd rather you be cold than lukewarm. As I've heard preachers say, and I agree with them, if you're cold, you're going to make steps to get warm, to get hot. Cold is uncomfortable. You're going to try to change that, take care of it. I, I think there's more to it, though, and I don't know if I've really got it all together. I think there's more to it than that. I'll I'll try to tell you what I think. May the Lord bless me to do do so. But I think um, I think you need to look at the seventeenth verse, because thou sayest, "I am rich." and increased with goods, and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched, and miserable, and poor, and blind, and naked. That's a dangerous way of thinking especially that part i have need of nothing how many of you would ever say that would ever confess that but here's the church that did they may have not have said that publicly but they thought that in their hearts and they considered the fact that they were rich That they use that as a measurement of their spirituality? Or to them, that it was indicative of God's blessing. We must be doing something right because we're rich. So we're fine. We have need of nothing. If you're cold, you need something. If you're hot, you already know you needed something. If you're lukewarm, you don't need anything. But we need the Lord, and we need the Spirit, and we need each other, and we need the gospel. We need the assembly, we need the congregation, we need to attend, we need to come, and we need to come understanding that we don't deserve to be here, but God has blessed us to be here. That we're not here because we've done something to get us here, that we deserve it. We're undeserving, and we're sinners. And we need to hear again and again that the Lord saves sinners. As Paul said, he came to save sinners, of whom I am chief. It is the popular opinion among major denominations that if you please the Lord, that the Lord will bless you materially. And often that starts with a good, hefty, heavy, hefty donation to the church. People call that the health, wealth, or prosperity doctrine. It's out there. I've heard it. That mentality is there. It may not be so overt, but it's there, and people think that. And sometimes I think that. I have to confess. And I look at, man, you know, I'm doing, the Lord is good to me. Look look at what I got. Look at what I got. But all that's going to be burned up one day. And I came into the world with nothing. I'm going to leave with nothing. What do I have? What I have are the things that I will leave with. I trust that I have the Lord. I trust the Lord loves me. I trust that the Lord has blessed upon me the measure of faith. I do feel a love for my brothers and sisters in Christ. And as Brother Seth told us, we, I weep with them that weep, and I rejoice with them that rejoice. Those are things that I enjoy spiritually in this world that money cannot buy and that are worth more than money, that are actually priceless and that they are enduring and they were given to me by the Amen, who's constant, faithful, true in the beginning of creation. And I understand, I try to remember that I am, as Paul, as as the Lord said to the the Laodiceans, you're poor, you're blind, you're naked, you're miserable. It doesn't matter that you're increased with goods, that's not a measurement. Of God's providence. In that regard, as Solomon asked in the book of Proverbs, he said, give me neither poverty nor riches, but feed me with the food. that Give me that that I can be content. Paul said, having food and raiment, let us therefore be content. That's all you need. That's it. That's what the Lord gives us materially. That's that's fine. But there's the better things, the greater things. Those are wood, hay, and stubble, but the gold, silver, and precious stones that he gives us are from the, the fruits of the Spirit. And the things that we contemplate in our hearts, in the meditations of our mind, and the feeling of the Lord close to us and the love that we have toward each other. Now that, to me, is is the greatest things in life. I wish that I thought about it more often than just one day a week or one hour a week. I wish I did. Why I keep coming. To, one one reason why I need to come to church to put my mind where it ought to be. It, Paul says we have the mind of Christ. Sometimes I actually remember that, and I use it. You know, somebody who's cold. Lord, Lord, rather us be cold than lukewarm. Someone who's cold might say something like this. I am miserable. I am blind. I am poor. But I'm such a wretch, how could God love somebody like me? That's cold. You're alone. You feel alone. You feel alienated from the Lord. Or you don't even, you have no idea of where to find relief. Someone who's hot. They'll say the same thing. I am poor. I am blind. I am naked. I am miserable. But I know where my strength comes And I know where to find relief. And I know that from the hand of God, I have sufficiency and more than enough to save my soul from hell. Somebody that's lukewarm does not say, I am poor, I am blind, I am miserable. They say, I have need of nothing. That's why he says, I'll spew you out of my mouth. You're not saying what I want you to say. You're not seeing the truth of it. You're seeing a facade. You're using the wrong measurement. I will spew you out of my mouth. I'm not going to take your whatever devotion you bring, if any at all. Just tip it. Just Coffee that you can't take it, spew out of my mouth. I'm scared of becoming lukewarm. And I don't want to be lukewarm. and, And the thing is, I could be lukewarm and not know it. And so these next few verses are very, very important. And in reading, upon reading and meditating on these verses this week, I came to a startling conclusion about the letter to the church of Laodicea. It's a really good letter, and it's a very optimistic letter. It, 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 it actually gets, takes the church to a higher state of, of experience with the Lord than in any other letter that I've read to the other six churches. Let me just read them to you, starting in verse 18. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich in white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold. I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into to him and will sup with him and he with me. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my father in his throne. Man, that's good. That's really fantastic. That's what I want. And so, what's the solution? How do we know that we're lukewarm? If you stop thinking that you need the Lord, you're lukewarm. That's it. If you fail to seek help of the Lord and understand that you need the Lord more than anything else in this world, you're lukewarm. If you're depending upon yourself to get by, you're lukewarm. If a minister, this, is hap- this sometimes happens to older preachers, of which I'm one. <laughs> like, well, I've been studying this Bible for all these years. I can just coast. I can just refer back to the studies of the past. It doesn't work that way. You have to to study, to show thyself approved. And if you're not studying, if you're relying upon history or past days or past sermons or past quote-unquote glory, you're lukewarm. If we fail to pray for our pastors, for ourselves, for our churches, if we fail to see what a blessing the church is, or if we think it's just going to keep going, it's all right, it's okay, you're lukewarm. Now, I hope that I didn't offend you by that. Because I'm not preaching this to Bethel Primitive Baptist Church. I'm preaching this to Elder David Montgomery. What do I do? He says, I counsel thee. I like that. That's, that's, I'm going to give you a piece of <clears throat> advice. You better listen. Why? Because I'm the amen, and I'm the faithful and true witness, and I'm the beginning of the creation. So let's listen to what the Lord says. I counsel thee to buy of me. Ah, there's where we're going to go to the Lord. He's got something for us. Buy of me what? Gold trod in the fire. And white raiment. Uh, well, gold trod in the fire. Gold... That's it. Go to the Lord and buy gold of the Lord. That's easy, right? That makes sense. I'm, you ought to know that end of the sermon, right? Y'all y'all got that? We're good? I'm not good with it. I need to know what does that mean? What does it mean to go to the Lord and purchase gold that he talks about that's trod in the fire, that means it's purified. We need to to go somewhere to find out. And I'm going to go, and there probably is a lot more other scriptures to go to. But I'm just going to go to 1 Timothy chapter 6. And I'm going to read how he's talking about things about rich people, or how to, what, he says in verse 6, but godliness and contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world it's certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us therewith be therewith content. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men, and destruction and perdition. Now, that's Laodicea, and that can be you and me. But thou, man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness, Godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. I think that's the goal. Or we can look down in verse 17 and read this. Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who giveth us richly all things to enjoy, that they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate, laying up for in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come that they may lay hold upon <coughs> eternal life. What it's saying is this, go to the Lord. <coughs> Ask the Lord, what what, what will Thou have me to do? What's my role? What what, what is your desire for me in this world and in the church? How should I behave? Lord, direct me. Guide my steps. Reveal thyself more and more unto me. Do I have a calling? What is it? What is my job? What is my gift? What will thou have me to do? Don't be high-minded. Be humble. Don't look down upon other people. Don't trust in anything else but in God. Don't trust in riches. Don't trust in your job. Don't trust in any other person. Trust the living God because he changes not. Trust him. And he gives us richly all things to enjoy. So enjoyment that we have in this life, to me, to me, the, the lasting Enjoyment is what we have in the Lord's church and what we have when the Lord is among us and we feel His presence and we're drawn to Him and we're drawn to each other and we can say that we had meeting today. We had church and I felt the Lord's presence in His spirit and you carry that home and you carry that wherever we go and we seek the Lord and, and His will in all things that we do whether what we do ju- what our job is, what our family is like at home and and in public and in the house of the Lord, and we Lord, what is it? what is it and 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 what are the works that you want me to do? And when I get to that point that I'm seeking the Lord, that I've availed myself of the Lord, what whatever it is. That's gold trying to fire. When I worked on the minister's book, I noticed there was a trend among ministers back in the day. And I'm not saying we're smarter than they are, but we, I think we've learned something. It was common among ministers 50 years ago secretly think that they're called to preach and never show that they think that, or when they were called upon to take the stand, they ran like babies, like little puppies, and, and, and they did everything they can, they could, not to show that the Lord had called them to preach, so they didn't bring their Bibles to church. And they refused when they were asked to get up and speak. I read one minister that was so afraid of it that he got publicly intoxicated and arrested so they wouldn't ask him to get up in the stand. You know how I know this? He wrote that in his autobiography. Brother Bill Walden told me, don't waste the Lord's time by running away from him. And don't waste the Lord's time and the people's time when you get up to preach and talk about how unworthy you are. They already know that. And the Lord knows it better than you do. He said, don't get up there and talk about you don't know anything. They already know that too. He said, don't get up there and tell them how little you've studied. They'll find that out in about five minutes. We are unworthy. Amen. That's not the point. What's the point is, he is worthy. And how could we think that it is is humility to disobey a divine summons of God? We're supposed to have boldness to enter into the holiest of holies, into the throne of grace. God knows we're to pray. That's why he saved us. Primitive Baptists ought to know a lot about depravity. But you have been made worthy by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when the Lord sees you, he sees you through the blood. He sees you as saved and glorified. Humility is an attribute, not a crutch. Humility is the truth, but it's not an excuse. And so when you're when you feel the Lord urging you into his service, don't be disobedient to that call. You will never find contentment in this world until you do. It was also said back in the day when a young person wanted to join the church that they were dissuaded from doing so. As a matter of fact, some were actually encouraged to go and sow their wild oats and get it out of their system and then come to the church. You know how I know this? That's exactly what my mother was told when she wanted to join the church. I thought we reap what we sow. If you sow wild oats, you know what you get? A lot more wild oats. You plant one seed, you get a lot of seed in return. I think we need to get rid of the wild oats and get the tame oats. Is that such a thing? I mean, what makes why? I guess why you know. Let's get the good oats. Let's get the steel cut oats. It's supposed to be better for you anyway. It doesn't taste all that great, but it's supposed to be better for you. I've got the Quaker Instant Oats. That's, I bet it's not wild oats. the lukewarmness in Laodicea was their measurement was all wrong. And it blinded them to the truth about themselves. I'd rather you be cold. I'd rather you know that you're poor, blind, naked, miserable. If you don't think you have relief, I will find you. I will avail myself. I will open a door. I will stand at the door. I will knock. You're going to open that door, and I'm going to be there. You're going to come in, and you're going to sup with me at my table. And you're going to eat of the bread of life. I will take care of that. Just understand that you need me. Hot people, we know where to go. We're going to keep going. Hopefully. May the Lord bless us to do so. If you're cold, if you don't know where to go, this is for you. He's telling you, I'm knocking at the door. He's not there to save your soul. The fact is, he's already saved your soul. Learn that. That's supping with him. That's the bread of life. That's the gospel. Overcome this attribute, this natural tendency among ourselves. As he says in verse 21, if you do that, if you overcome that because you can, because I made you and I saved you and I called you and I put my spirit in you and I know what I can do even through you, you can overcome. I will grant you to sit with me in my throne. I'm carrying you all the way to glory and I'll give you a fleeting moment in that situation here on earth. I will give you heaven on earth and there will be times that you can say, I sat with him. I was right beside him. I saw him like I've never seen him before. My heart is just bursting with with joy and spirit. My cup is running over. The lines have fallen in the most pleasant places. And I have sat with him in heavenly places in Christ. And I've sat together with the house, with, with God's people in the house of the Lord. And we all sat together with Christ and supped with him. That's, that's good. That's where you want to be. And, and you see, there's, you're not being spewed out of the mouth. You're being blessed to sit with him. He's invited you. I mean, I don't want to use that in a, in a term that God's given a salvation invitation. But I'm just saying the opportunity of that is there. You will sit with me, my throne, even as I also overcame. And am set down with my father in his throne, because I overcame. Now you can overcome this. I overcame that which you couldn't. Now you can overcome this because you can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Now, I, there you go, brother Seth. I got that verse you wanted me to get last Sunday. There it is. Amen. I can do all things through Christ who strengtheneth me. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. May that ever be so to us at Lavernia, at Bethel. May Duncan Church understand that, that that's just the building. It was terrible, and y'all don't even know. I'll show you the pictures. It will just break your heart what they did to that building. Uh, found meth residue in the sink that they made this drug at the building and overturned the benches and the communion table, broke holes in the wall, ripped the sink out of the wall, and left the water running and flooded the church.